You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church in the world today. Well, hello, Northland family and friends. Welcome to another episode of Extra Takes. I am sitting right next to my co-host, Matt Shiles. Matt, good to be with you. Yeah, good to be here. Welcome. You know, I I feel like I I have no idea what, you know, for those of you who are watching this on video, like you you look at my mess here and Matt has his phone, which tells me how long I'm going and or basically we're going. And then he has just two pieces of paper and I got all this. I got, you know, something's wrong with that. You're spread out today, but... (laughs) It's night, nice and neat and tidy. Yeah, sure. So, so we're gonna we're gonna get through a lot today because you have a I lot think of resources so. for us. I do have a lot of resources. A lot of resources. You know, I've listened awesome. to a lot of podcasts. I mean, yeah, some good stuff. So let's uh, let's dig in this week. So we are in our engage series, and this was all about connect. So our four C's. We're going one week at a time, and this week is connect. So we are in Acts two. 41, 42, and 46, and this was January 20th through 21st, 2024. So the main point, Jesus expects his followers to connect with the Lord and his people for corporate worship. Yep. So really this idea around connecting with God and others, but specifically around corporate worship, and you really unpacked that for us. Yep. Um, the outline looked at uh, three main questions, and then you gave us a bonus, a bonus question. question. Yeah, because I just felt like I wanted to preach longer. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> and uh, we we have an audience again <laughs> in here. His name is Joe Curtis. So anytime I I you know in some sense make a joke and he laughs, like I just <laughs> yeah I just love it. So let's go through those three questions, and and we'll definitely have questions around each of those topics. So first is why do we connect? We talked about uh, temples. Um, so modern day temples, and also you gave us a biblical theological overview of temples, which was amazing. We then talked about what we do when we connect. Um, then we then we asked what happens when we connect, and the final bonus question was how should you prepare yourself to connect for corporate worship? And you gave us some really really practical things for us to um, for us to consider that you exhorted to us that we should be doing to help prepare us um, yeah. for Saturday, Sunday worship. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start um, by this introduction question. First of all, Legos. So I am I am starting, I am being entered into the world of Legos as a parent. Yep. Um, just this Christmas, we got a bunch of Lego sets. And I got to tell you, I love those directions. You you so are you more of a detailed person? Oh oh yeah. I love it. One, two, three, four, forty forty two, forty four, love it. Yeah. Forty two, forty three, forty four, like however many steps there are, they tell me exactly what to do. Well, but sometimes it. though, I mean, depending on that Lego piece, you've gotta count yeah. and make sure like Yeah. You gotta follow, oh, you gotta look gosh. at it. That is like gosh, that's so painful. So painful. You know, it's painful uh, is stepping on Legos. Well, painful, yeah, that, that, painful. yeah. Well, painful is you know when you when you've not followed the directions completely and you have to take it all together because they don't come up so, they don't come a, come apart as easily as they go on. They have little tools now. They didn't have those when yeah, I grew up, and I didn't even have fingernails. But I, you, you know, yeah. yeah. But now I do. 
So, so when you were describing that, it kind of reminds me of Ikea furniture because I have done that <laughs> halfway through Ikea and I'm like, uh-oh, I didn't see that little knob there in the picture. That's one, of the re- that's one of the reasons why I hate Ikea furniture <laughs> is because like I got to sit on it and I'm like, man, if I put together that Ikea furniture the way I put together Legos, no, nah, I don't need to sit on it. And I don't want anybody else sitting on it either. You, you know, I came over past George's house and I'm not sitting in his chair and it broke. You know what I mean? Like, yes, I don't want that to happen that's wonderful <laughs> so so yeah so you uh you you gave us a lot of good tidbits from lego yeah and i think a lot of that um a lot of that info came from a podcast you listened to because i listened to uh yeah a similar one right it's called uh what is it business, uh, business movers is what it's what, it, what it's called business movers and yeah. so they had a whole four episodes around the lego company and so went through the entire story so that was a fascinating podcast listen and they do other businesses too but i'm like well i'm fascinated with legos uh just because my kids are into legos let me yeah and yeah a seven and a half billion dollar company what i thought was so fascinating about this is is when they started you know they were they were a wood company and and really the the progression is then obviously moving to to plastic but it was his son that was building them, and he kept getting frustrated because they would fall over so easily. So this idea of them connecting together, and I think that obviously has some um, some connection to what we're talking about here with with connecting together. Is there uh, some stickiness, right? Is there some sort of binding agent? And that's really what separated them from so many of the uh, the other toys of the day was just these wooden blocks that would just sit on top of each other. How easy is it to knock those over? Well, you just right. have to. You just have to easily touch the table, mm, yeah. And and the the dad um, got inspired from his kid because he said, "Hey, th- this is a problem. So so let me make this change." So as you were talking about that, introduced Lego into this idea of connect. I just thought um, this idea of corporate worship is is um, so important for us to to stay connected together. Without it, uh, so easily, it's so easy for it to just fall over, right? Right. Well, you know, you're talking about the connecting agent. So this is this is fascinating. So First Corinthians 13, okay. it's the Louvre chapter. But you know, a lot of times people will, yeah, you like that the Louvre chapter. Is that like a Barry? What, what's yeah. Barry White? Barry White. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. You, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but First Corinthians 13 is not necessarily a love chapter to be read at weddings per se. If you want to, that's fine. Sure. I mean, I'm not knocking it. But it's actually about the church. Mm. And so, you know, Paul, you know, he's writing, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I don't have love, I'm only I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. But then he goes, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud. And then it says, love never fails. Um, and then, you know, he, he really talks about, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Mm. And when you look at what really Paul's talking about in this context is that love is the connecting agent. Mm, mm. And if love, if this agape love is the connecting agent, what ultimately is it rooted in? Mm. Jesus's love, Mm. which is what brings us together in corporate worship, Mm. is that we are coming together in the love of Christ because it 
was the love of Christ, the love of God demonstrated in sending Jesus and him giving up himself for us that has drawn us to the Lord and in drawing us together, love. And that's where Paul's like, love never fails. Like it is the connecting agent. So anyways, I thought that would just be, you know, again, bonus for you. You're welcome. I think we're going to have a lot of bonuses today. (laughs) So let's get into that first question. Uh, Why do we connect? And first of all, you talked about modern-day temples, so, um, you know, big sports uh, stadiums and theaters and malls. Um, and this really uh, got me thinking about just the way that we engage culture that we have uh, we've talked about so much. So can you just kind of talk about and remind us of the difference between, say, um, looking at something like that and just totally removing ourselves from engaging with these modern-day temples versus – you know, having this mindset of a healthy balance. And and really, we can keep in perspective where our ultimate allegiance is aligned, but also engage in culture in this way. Yeah, I didn't have a lot, you know, I didn't have as much time as I would have liked this past week to do even a deeper dive in the Colosseum. Because one of the things that I know in, in ancient times, particularly yeah. around Greek culture and then in Roman culture, you had a focus around sports. I mean, the Olympics started then, yeah. and but then you look at the Colosseum. The Colosseum was built in a time when Rome was weakening, and mm-hmm. so they're like, well, let's build something monumental that will be a connecting place mm-hmm. where basically the mob is what they would call you know, the, the citizens of Rome, that the mob could come, we could entertain, mm-hmm. they can consume for the ultimately the glory of Rome, mm-hmm. but part of the glory of Rome was the empire. Emperor, which was seen as a god, because that's one of the things that you look at, you know, in ancient culture, they were polytheistic. Mm-hmm. And so, in, and again, in all kinds of cultures, there was there there were these various gods that they would worship and build temples to. And so when you look at even like the Colosseum in sports, it was a stadium, but ultimately it was built for a place of connection, but ultimately the glory of Rome that they actually worshipped um, and who sat on the throne of Rome, Caesar, who again considered himself to be a god among Many. Now, so so that's kind of where, like, the, the stadiums that we have, it really is how you view them. Mm. Like, even, again, even with Paul, you know, so... So for Easter this year, we're actually going to unpack Acts 17, where Paul is in Athens, and he's going around, and he's seeing all of these temples. And he's actually going to make the argument that God, the, the God who has created everything that you see, he does not dwell in temples made by man. Because now, in in his view, is that now Jesus has replaced the, the temple in mm. uh, Jerusalem. And so... So he's he's actually going to look at these temples and make that connection mm. and so so what we're looking at here in our modern day time are these kind of stadiums uh these theaters that are truly connecting places but that many people do ascribe ultimate worth and value to what takes place in those stadiums so what what I'm trying to get people to understand is that it's okay because like even Paul is going to write in you know cor- you know uh, to the church at Corinth because there was this idea that in these temples back then they would sacrifice and they would sacrifice animals too and then they would sell the meat in the market. Mm. 
And so there there was this idea in the church that, well, hey, listen, if the, if this meat has been sacrificed to, you know, um, Athena or, you know, or Nike, the you know, which is the god of victory or the... Um, so if, if if these you know kind of animals have been sacrificed here and this meat has been sold, then we we shouldn't eat that. And Paul's like, well, no, listen, it's how you view it, right, you know. Right. So if you're if you're not ascribing ultimate worth and value to whatever the god it, you know that that was sacrificed to, listen, that meat's fine. So that's the thing; it's fine to go and cheer on the magic, just as long as you do not ascribe ultimate worth and value. To the magic, it's okay to to consume and to enter, you know, enjoy art. Like if if that's your thing and that's your jam and you love that, it is okay to go and to enjoy that. You you just not you are not ascribing ultimate worth to that. Mm-hmm. Where what we have seen in our culture, and this is where I, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to take a deeper dive because I, I really am not trying to shame anybody, yeah. but I do think that it is a it it, it, it becomes a clear distinction though of enjoying something for God's glory versus worshiping something in place of God's glory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we definitely know in our day and age that these these bigger stadiums are just in some sense macro temples to micro temples. Mm-hmm. Like because where do you find a lot of Americans on Saturday and Sunday apart from these bigger stadiums? Well, they're at the basketball gymnasiums. Uh they're at smaller baseball fields, smaller smaller soccer fields because you, you know, they they're like, "Hey, I want my kid to do it." And again, it's okay for your kid to do that. It's okay for your kid to enjoy it. But one of the things that we've seen over the last 30 years is in some sense, these little micro temples have replaced the gathering of the saints for many people. Now, again, I'm not trying to not trying to shame you, not not trying to you know hurt your feelings, not trying to offend you, but let's just be real honest. Because there was a day and age when there wasn't, you know, practice didn't happen on certain days because the church, that's when the church gathered. You know, they didn't play ball games on Sunday morning because that's when the church gathered. But now it's kind of like, you know, the church has in some sense been replaced from from a center of culture. Now the church is on the periphery of culture. And so, sure, let's go ahead and play seven days a week at all times. And the church has just kind of gone along with it and go, well, you know what, I just can't, I, I just can't go be with the church right now. Because I got to take little Susie, you know, and I got to take her so that she can play soccer. And so now she grows up and, and now it's not important for her to connect, you know, with the church because you've told her it's more important to go kick a little soccer ball than it is to worship King Jesus. And I know I'm just rambling on this, yeah. but come on now, like, yeah. let, let's be a little honest. And so, again, I'm not saying don't like that's one of the things that I love about what we do here at Northland is that we have a 5 p.m. service. We have a 9 and 11. So, like, you you you. Can you carve out? And again, I've been very clear in saying it's not about perfect attendance. So, so there have been times where we have let one, you know, I said one, or if they've been playing, we've let all of our kids, you know, do something, you know, on Sunday. Uh, but we've gone on Saturday. I mean, so, mm-hmm. so because we want them to know that being with the people of God is, extremely important. And so, yes, we want you to be able to have fun. We want you to play sports. uh, But that will never take place and precedence over what God values. Yeah, it's really, it is really connected to our view of corporate worship and how high we view 
corporate worship or not. And and um, obviously, this is the messy middle, right? Engaging in culture yeah. and and sports holds such a, a near and dear place in so many of our hearts. Yeah, and and that's really what I wanted to us to you know really talk through is it's not about because um, because in so many things you know different believers have viewed uh, culture different ways. And what I don't hear you saying is remove yourself from culture. No, 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 no. It's stepping into the messy middle, but making sure that it is done intentionally in the appropriate way and that it doesn't become – because even if it's not our intention, it, it, it can sometimes veer that way, that it doesn't become primary and that it doesn't take precedence over um, you know, ongoing intentional corporate worship. Um, certainly there's exceptions, but – um, but if that becomes the the norm, then then yeah, it is certainly speaking volumes yeah. to uh, to our priorities and uh, and what we ultimately ascribe worth to. And you have to remember again, these four C's they were birthed out of what God's people do to participate in His mission. Right. So right. part of gathering together corporately with the people of God has a missional element mm-hmm. to it. And so if you forego the gathering of the saints, mm. you are missing a, a piece mm. of the missional pie. Mm. And, and so, and again, like um, if, if you forego those things, but yet you go to all of these other things and you go, well, I don't, I, I, I don't need to go. I can worship God on the soccer field or I can worship God at the baseball stadium. I can worship God on, on the lake. And you are right. You can do those things. But there is a there is an element of the gathering of the saints that is also a a missional element, mm-hmm. Be, because th- that why do you go there? Because God throughout history has wanted His people to gather together to not only hear from Him but to worship Him together as a body. And so, so again, it's it's a missional element. This idea of connecting with God and others because it is one of the things that God's people do mm. in order to participate in His mission. And His mission is to redeem, to save a people from all peoples, so that they might reflect Him in all spheres of life. And and what 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 I was trying to stress here is that one of these spheres is this idea that we need to gather to worship a deity. Yeah. Like so, that's the whole idea of temple building. Mm. Is that we have again? We have them all over the world. Yeah. Is that these things have been created and built so that there might be a connecting place for people to ascribe worth to something yeah. or someone. So, so, so again, it's innate within us. The church is that mm. is that thing where we now connect so that we might ascribe ultimate worth and value to King Jesus. So so that's why it is a missional element. So where everybody else like does their thing, mm. the church does her thing. So so speaking of temples, uh you gave us a biblical theological overview of temples. Last week you did this for us with the church. This week you did this for us with temples. So so two questions here. I want to hear a little bit more about maybe what you learned about temples, but also um, something that I was thinking about was if, you know, if we desire, we as a community and we as individuals desire to get better at doing what you did the last couple of weeks of kind of the grand narrative, are there some tips that you might give us of 
Um, cause it's for me, it's, you know, I was telling Keely this morning, man, you've inspired me to then want to practice and get better at being able to, you know, pop in and, and really connect the, the large points of the grand narrative. So just wondered if, uh, if you had any thoughts around tips of how, how, what's helped you or how we might do that. And then also maybe some, uh, some thoughts on temples. Uh, wow. Gosh, that's, uh. I mean, I have been doing this now since 2010, so, okay, so, so about 14 years. Yeah. And here's just some, you know some books. Uh, so if you're watching this, you can see this, and we'll you know we'll we'll definitely put them up in other ways that you can see, you know you'll see. But this book is from Eden to the New Jerusalem, and it's an introduction of biblical theology. Mm. So there, so um, so I'll just leave it up there for you to see there for a second. Um, Alexander. So this is by yeah uh, Desmond Alexander. Now one of the things too that you have to understand too is that there's a difference between system. Systematic theology and biblical theology. So systematic theology might take a, a word and it will, you know, in some sense show you all the various ways that it's used. Biblical theology tends to take themes and chart them through out redemptive history, so from beginning to end. So one of the things that I'm doing when I'm starting with Genesis and going through Revelation and just highlighting the church or highlighting the temple, and as we, you know, continue in the series, I'm going to highlight community. I'm going to highlight care. Like I'm going to highlight all of these various ways that these that these themes have been seen throughout redemptive history. And so, so it is a discipline, biblical theology, and charting these themes and picking up these themes like. But that that is a discipline of biblical theology, mm. and so so that's something that I have really grown uh, in my understanding of in the last you know kind of almost fifteen years. So now I just know because I've read all of these you, you know books. I've I've written papers, and mm. you know so that's why I don't want to take for granted like my education because part yeah. of yeah. my education has been drilling down in these right. things. So writing right. papers like so. You know, uh, my my major dissertation, 250 pages, was charting the biblical theme of the fateful presence of humanity. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, so I'm charting that theme. And here's another one uh, that's, uh, gosh, this is a very, very important book. But it's called The Temple and the Church's Mission, A Biblical Theology of the Dwelling Place of God. So, I mean, obviously, the temple and the church's mission. So, G.K. Bill, like, and, you, um, and you've quoted, I've from quoted him. I mean, he yeah. is like the seminal scholar on this whole idea of the church's mission and charting it from Genesis to mm. Revelation. Mm. Here's a very accessible book. It's called The City of God and the Goal of Creation, and this is also by Desmond Alexander. But it's a little mm. bit more accessible mm. for for people. And then this is another one: Engaging with God, a biblical theology. Of worship. So you see the theme there, biblical theology. Right. So you're charting it. But this is why this is so important, is because in our day and age, our culture in general has lost a meta narrative. It has lost a larger story in order to view life. So when you look at the three biggest religions on the face of planet Earth today, what do you have? You have obviously Christianity. You have Islam and you have Judaism. Those, in some sense, those are the big three. And then you have obviously other religions as well. But in all of those, you know, the three big religions as well as many others, you have a meta narrative. You have a grand story in which 
individual humans understand their life and their little micro story. Mm. So when you when 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 you have a biblical theology, what you actually have now, you have a larger meta narrative. You have a larger framework to understand not only these themes, but how your life intersects within this larger story. So which you know you look at the biblical biblical theology of temple. Yeah. So somebody might see church. And they might go, why church? Yeah. Here's why church. Right. They might say, why does the church gather on the weekend to work, you know, in some sense to worship? Uh, now you understand. And when you understand that, and when I, and when I, you know, make even a hopefully a relevant point that we do this in our own culture, we create these larger structures, stadiums that really do serve as like modern day temples to connect and worship. Like, why do we do that? Here's a larger story to understand why that's even an innate within us. Right. right so right. that's why, it's so, you know, that's why it's so important. That's why I geek out on those things. And I hope that the more I do this, and the more that I continue to share the same narrative, but different elements and themes throughout this narrative, then light bulbs are going to go off. Light bulbs are going to go off. And so the more I do it, the more it goes into not only your your mind, but your heart that you're understanding that. So does that make, yeah, does that yeah. make sense some? Yeah, it does. So. And what I've noticed, um, one of the – seems like one of the techniques that you use is – um, you know, similar markers in terms of, of people's stories. So you're always starting with Adam and Eve. You typically talk about Abraham. You talk about Moses. You talk about David. Um, and then so on. You get to Jesus. So um, so, so typically, if you kind of know, first of all, those stories well, also yeah. know where they're found in the Bible, you know kind of the, the chronology of that. I think that's probably a good starting point. That's what I've I've seen you know, you kind of uh, a theme that you've used is you hit a lot of those as you are weaving what, together whatever theme you're. Yeah, you discussing. you got five. You got five major. You could call them stations. You can call them chapters, and, and you, then you go deeper into those five. And so you got Adam and the human race. So the very beginning, this is going to be Adam and Eve and the human race this is what God intended. But then the next is Israel. Mm-hmm. But Israel's story begins in Abraham. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's going to he's going to start with one man, and 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 so in, and his wife is going to call. And so, but but you got Israel. So you got Adam, Israel, then Jesus. Who's the better Adam? Who's the better Israel? Mm-hmm. So so really, to truly understand Jesus, you need to understand Adam and Israel and their story. Then Jesus gives birth to the the, the church, mm-hmm. and some people now again, I, you know, some people will call this replacement theology in the sense of the church has taken the place of Israel and would see uh, the church as the new Israel. I, you know, I, you could say that, but who is the church in? Mm-hmm. The church is in Jesus, who I would say is the new Israel and is the new Adam. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, you know, the 12 disciples are so, you know, in some sense so important there because they represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And so then you got the church understanding how now the church is operating in the new Adam and the new Israel and even in new creation. Because when you read John chapter 1, what you have is John mirroring there what he's writing with Genesis 1. Mm. So so he's going to go all the way back to the beginning, mm. and now he's going to tell you about the Word now made flesh, and it's going to be now the Word made flesh that's going to usher in new creation. Mm. 
which then you then you fast forward to the very end, and there you have new creation, new city. So Adam, Israel, Jesus, the church, and then the new city. That's why it's so important to understand those, mm-hmm. and then you can drill down on individuals. Yeah. So Israel, some of the key individuals there, right? You got Abraham, he's the father. Uh, you got Moses, he's kind of the the the, the archetype or the prototype of the deliverer, the rescuer. Then you got David, who's this king, who is the golden kind of age king. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you got all of these different. You know, then you got the temple, the tabernacle, like yeah. so all of these different things. Um, and that's why when you look at just like the temple, so the Garden of Eden was an Edenic temple, mm-hmm. and you can chart that. But then it's going to be clearly seen more when Moses comes on the scene. Uh, it's going to, you know, be seen clearly when David kind of comes on the scene with Solomon. He wants to build a more permanent structure than Jesus, than the church. Like, so yeah. that, so that's why it's so important to understand those five elements of the biblical narrative. Because if you don't know those things, then and and you just try to understand what's going on in the church without knowing. Yeah. That's why I'm not a fan of some people, and I'm not going to mention names because again, I don't I want to shame anybody. But there are some pastors out there that have said that they want to unhitch from the Old Testament. Please don't do that. Please, because you actually need the Old Testament to understand in high definition what Jesus comes on the scene to do. Yeah. So yeah. So please, please don't do that. Yeah, and so, well, and something you said this weekend was anytime God gives blueprints, it is a, always about a tabernacle or temple that God wants them to build. What was so fascinating about that is is uh, you were essentially saying understanding, I think understanding the, the larger narrative then helps us understand some of the minutia and details because you, you get to Exodus and you get into the blueprint of the tabernacle and you could easily say, why is this important? Yeah. Why do I need to know all of those details? But if you have a uh, a high view of why temples, why tabernacles are important, I think it takes on a whole a whole new meaning. So that's just kind of one example how yeah. how the big the meta narrative could really help with some of the details that we yeah. come across. And a fun little detail, like here's a fun little detail, is what direction did temples face? How did you enter into temples? And this is actually even outside of uh, the biblical narrative in terms of what direction temples face. Uh, I would guess west, but I don't know. Okay, so they faced east. Okay. Okay, so the entrance of the temple was east. Now, why would the entrance of the temple be east? Okay, so Adam and Eve are kicked out. You're kicked out east. They're kicked out east, right? Okay, yeah, so you're kicked out east. Okay. So then going west is okay. That that was So it's facing east. That's why I guess But when but when at when 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 God calls Abraham, he's gonna go west. So if the temple is facing east, he enters into the temple. So because eastward is the direction of sin Mm -hmm. and sinners away from God, Mm -hmm. west is the direction to God. And so again, that that's just a that's just a very interesting tidbit. Yeah. You know, why would temples be facing east? Yeah. You know, so there you go. So was there some some other tidbits about temples that you uncovered that yeah. you didn't have time? So, so this is cool. And I didn't want to get into it this weekend because I knew that it was it was already, in some sense, a lot of content, although it was just charting a theme, right? But but when 
when you look at the building of temples, and particularly uh, not only the temple in Israel or in tabernacle, so tabernacle is the mobile tent or the mobile temple. The temple is the physical temple. So, so what, what Moses was instructed to build, like they could tear it down, set it up. That was the tabernacle. And the temple was, it was built to be the, the, the permanent dwelling place. Okay. So, but even if you look at the Garden of Eden, what's fascinating about temples is that they are a microcosm to the cosmos. Okay. So, so think about it this way. Okay. So, in the Garden of Eden, at the very center, you had the tree of life. That was the holy of holies. Uh, the Garden of Eden was the holy place. So that's where you, that's where priests could go, okay? Now, that's where they, they could go. Again, temple still the dwelling place of God. Now, but, but the Shekinah glory is in the holy of holies, the manifesting presence of God. Now, Adam could go in there too. But you had the holy place, uh, which is the the Garden of Eden, and then outside Eden was the outer courts. Mm. Now, and and what and and what again? Going back to what I had said two weeks ago is that God wanted to expand the Garden of Eden. He wanted to expand the holy place because the concentrated element, the the center of Eden, was the holy of holies. Mm where the tree of life resided. Mm. And so, now who's the tree of life? Jesus is the tree of life, okay? Mm. So, because he's going to be the center of the new city, mm. uh, and we're going to see the tree of life there. So, he's the tree of life. So, so then when you get to the the actual building of the temple, you had the outer courts. Even the Gentiles could come into the outer courts, yeah. okay? Even you know, at that place, even women could come. Like So, that was just a gathering place. But then you had the holy place. Only priests could come in there because you had multiple priests. But then you had a high priest. And only the high priest could come into the holy of holies, the place, the dwelling place of God. Okay, so so what this was, it was a microcosm of the cosmos. And and see what God wanted. And, and this is what he had always intended for for this to happen where the holy place would be extended to the ends of the earth so that his his glory might cover the 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 face of the earth and so so that's what's so interesting about even the the these physical temples is that they are microcosms so think about it yeah. so so the church and this is where the church scattered we're going out into the to the courts where you know you could have you I mean you remember you remember the series I did where I talked about the true church and the false church mm-hmm. okay so you 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 could go out to the courts where you have the true church the false church but you also have just lost people gathering in in just the the, the courts but then you can move into the whole, you know, in some sense, the holy place. And that really is where just anytime the saints are gathered, mm-hmm. they could be a small group. I mean, it's the holy place. But then that's where I, I love the corporate worship gathering. This is where we are meeting to assemble, uh, to assemble before the throne of God. Now, again, can we go into like, 
Paul talks about how we are micro temples because, you know, he's like, your body is a temple, the spirit dwells. And that is absolutely true. That is even what the prophets even prophesied in terms of looking at a future time when the spirit of God uh, would be imputed into humanity and the law of God. Like, so yes, we, we are little temples, but when we come together, this is where something unique happens when, when these, these living stones, these living kind of rocks come together to be built up, you you know, and so because then as a body, we are entering into the holy of holies where our king sits so that we might ascribe ultimate worship to him. And that's why he inhabits the praise of his people. And so, so just in this idea of, of, of a temple, it is this greater depiction on what God is wanting to do in the entire cosmos. Yeah. So. Yeah, you uh, seems like you really went deep into temples this week. I know we had a we had an all staff meeting halfway through the week, and, and it was kind of right after your study time, and it was fascinating to for you to you know I I kind of got to get out of this this mindset because you could yeah. tell that you were really you were really going deep into temples, yeah. and um, it's fascinating the the temple is a, a microcosm of yeah. the earth. And then if you think about it, mm. where, why was Adam and Eve able to be before the presence of God prior to sin? What what clothed them? Mm. I mean, you, you have basically God's presence that clothed them. Mm. And then when they sinned, they realized they didn't have anything on. Because now the innocence, now the purity, now the holiness has been removed from them, and they realize now what they are without Hmm. God covering them. Hmm. And then God does have to cover them as he kicks them out of the garden. But then when you look at the priesthood, you know, God is going to give Moses, he's going to give them these blueprints and even descriptions on the robes for the priest. Well, so now that we, in Jesus, are priests. So again, regardless of gender, regardless of race, regardless of age, if you are in Jesus, you that's what they, you know, reformers, they taught about the priesthood of all believers. But what are we clothed? Because again, priests, they had to have, they actually had to have a certain kind of robe, clothes on it, mm. on them to enter into mm. the holy place. And then the high priest enter into the holy of holies. Well, what are we clothed with? We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, which is why we can enter into the holy place, which is why we can enter into the holy of holies, which is why we I wanted us to end with amazing grace, because the only reason why we can even gather, the only reason why we could even worship is because we have been clothed in Christ's righteousness because of his grace and mercy. Mm. So so again, ten, that's why it's so important to really, yeah, understand all of the dynamics of the temples. Yeah, or the temple. So, and uh, and what we were talking about the priesthood of all believers. We we talked about that in that second question, which was what do we do when we connect? And you laid out these examples of um, how the New Testament church contextualized and how we do as well. Something you uh, you talked about was you know really the example of Jesus being both the sacrificer and the sacrifice, mm. and how. Um, how we then take that as an example, uh, and um, we're both the sacrificer and the sacrifice. So can you talk a little little bit more about kind of that section 
and just anything else that you wanted to cover in terms of the um, the contextualized examples in both the New Testament, how how that looked in the the New Testament church, or uh, how it looks today. Yeah, here's what I, I mean. Maybe ask them. You know, maybe another way you can even look at these are just asking yourself these these questions. What am I sacrificing? What am I giving up? You know, like again, you go back to your time, your talents, your treasures. A- a- am I giving? Am I sacrificing any of that? You know, for the sake of the king. You know, for the glory of uh, the king. And so, because there is the, again, there there is this idea, and there's this sentiment that God's people sacrifice. They they give their first fruits. I mean, that's why we talk about a tithe because in the Old Testament, and this was even so. This was fascinating, even before the 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 tabernacle and temple are set up. Abraham gave a tenth. You know, and so uh, now what did Abraham do at the very beginning? And that's why I wanted to bring that out in, in Genesis 12, verse 7, is that he is pitching a tent, uh, which in the Septuagint, I talked about Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. So in the Septuagint, the word tent is tabernacle, and then he builds an altar. Well, why would you build an altar? To offer up a sacrifice. We saw that with what Noah did. He offered up a sacrifice. So, so I mean, and, and then if you even go to Cain and Abel, mm. why did Cain kill Abel? Mm. Because Abel gave to God an 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 aroma type of sacrifice, an acceptable sacrifice. Cain didn't, mm. you know. So 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 there is this idea from the very beginning that God loves his people to offer up a sacrifice. And now in the New Testament, Paul's going to be very clear mm-hmm. on what some of those sacrifices are. Your body, mm-hmm. that your, and that's why he's going to say, you were bought with a price and you are not your own. Mm-hmm. So glorify God in all that you do. So that's where you're going to offer up your body as a living sacrifice. You're going to offer up the praise of your lips, right? And so, like, and and for those of you who are watching this and maybe, you know, even those who are listening, let me just give you, like, so um, I know that we don't, I wish we would do more uh, of this in terms of teaching even postures because you can sacrifice in terms of postures so when you when you cup your hands and your hands are up you're wanting to receive when you lift your hands up as if you were you know kind of testifying I, I'm testifying mm-hmm. you know you can lift your hands up both hands up in praise like you know so so that's why for me like even when I'm over there I'm offering up a sacrifice of praise through my lips is also even through my hands you know that's why even the psalmist is going to say clap your hands all your people shout to God with the voice of triumph I mean, I'm, I'm gonna you know because the thing think think about it you know I, when you're at when, when you're at a stadium and you're cheering you are offering up some kind of celebration and so I think it's extremely appropriate because the Bible actually talks about all of these various kinds of postures and even a different kind of voice expressions mm. when we offer up to God a sacrifice of of praise, the fruit of our lips. So, so again, I, I think that's important to just realize that you know I'm going to give my tithe, I'm going to give my offering, I'm going to give my body yeah. in sacrifice to the King. And I've always, you know, I say I've always for years, I've always said the um, the size of your sacrifice actually is should be in proportion to the size of your Savior. Mm. 
Mm. Like, so if you don't think you're, you know, or you're God, if you don't think your God's very big, if you don't think your Savior is very big, guess your your sacrifice is going to be a little small. But if you if you actually believe that He's big and He's worthy, then 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 your sacrifice is actually going to be big, you know. So that I mean, and again that. That is in proportion to what Paul would say, your ability. Okay, mm. so mm. but you're going to give sacrificially to the one to the degree that you believe he is. Mm. That makes sense, Joe. Yes, sir. <sighs> Love it. Yeah. So, uh, so I mean that that sacrifice, you, you know. Um, you know, I mean, and tithes and offerings, um, because I do want to be clear. I, I want to be honest and clear. Like the New Testament isn't going to come out and just say you need to give. Now, the 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 uh, the Apostle Paul, he's going to quote Jesus that it is it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. You're going to see the pattern of giving because here's what I mean. This is why I think it's so important is that. You have to see that the church saw themselves connected to Israel. Mm. Like what was set up in Israel, this isn't something, when I say completely different, it is a continuation but contextualized in Jesus. So in some sense, they didn't necessarily have to feel the need to, to in some sense, command, you know, all of the believers to do something that was already, already second nature to what you're supposed to do as the people of God because he had set it up. This is what you do. Mm. You know, now it's just contextualized in Jesus. I mean, like prayer. Uh, but this is cool. Everybody can pray now. Everybody has connection to God. Everybody. Um, you know, now what is a little bit different is is really the preaching and teaching of God's word. Because what were they what what were they ultimately preaching and teaching? They were preaching and teaching not only the gospel, the good news of King Jesus, but they were explaining how the gospel now intersects our life and changes us mm-hmm. from the inside out. And so that's where when you read all of Paul's letters that Peter saw as 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 the word as inspired by God the he's going to be explaining how now does Jesus being my savior and king how should it be fleshed out in my life and so so that's why you, you know you have a little bit more nuance to uh, the 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 preaching and the teaching mm. of God's word not just the reading of God's word mm. so um and, and yeah, and like yeah, sending out missionaries. Um, that's why we have mission partners. That's why we'll actually have uh, a couple of mission partners in town this this week. Pastor Francisco and Pastor Desjard from the First Presbyterian Church in Manaus. So look forward to having them. But they're partners, and so we get to celebrate them uh, as we partner with them and what God's doing there in Brazil. So so when you look at what we do, and that's why. I was telling some of the staff that I was meeting with this morning is that ultimately connect for us envisions the corporate gathering of the saints. Now, you know, we'll go a little bit more in depth and cultivate care and commission how you engage God's church in cultivate by being part of a life group, by um, being developed as a leader. Like if you have a child, making sure that they're in a contextualized environment to learn. Like so... Um, you know, so those are some of the things that, you know, I'm going to go a little bit deeper in, but what I really wanted to flesh out this past weekend is this idea that connect is this 
corporate yeah. gathering. And so when you look at what does you know what what do God's people do when they connect? Like I, mm-hmm. that, like everything that we do in a given weekend, like. It is connected to what the New Testament church did, but it all it is also connected to what the Old Testament saints did contextualized to the days of the tabernacle and temple. All right. Amen. So, yeah, well, well said. Yeah. So let's look at this next question. What happens when we connect? You gave us a principle. You said the gathered church is the epicenter of God's manifested presence. I'd love for you to just um, talk a little bit more about that idea you said this was really uncovered for you during this week. So um, what is it about the gathered church that we we get to see God's manifested presence? So th- there are a couple of uh, people that, you know, I want, you know, in some sense I wanted to quote, but, you know, I just didn't want to get so stuck in on, you know, kind of quoting because mm. I knew I could do that here in Extra Take. So let me just... Um, let me just read some some quotes. So, so Martin Luther, the the great reformer, he says, at, at home in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in May, but in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. Wow. I mean, this is Martin Luther saying, like, something happens in the gathering that doesn't even happen in my home. Yeah, yeah. Tim Keller also says something unique happens to believers in corporate worship that doesn't happen apart from it. Mm. Uh, and then you have Donald Whitney, um, uh, who uh, wrote the, uh, um, the the spiritual disciplines uh, or what he's known for. But he says there's an element of worship in Christianity that cannot be experienced in private worship or by watching worship. There are some graces and blessings that God gives only in the meeting together with other believers. Hmm. And then um, in this book called Worship by the Book, here's what the authors say. When we come together and engage in the activities of corporate worship, including not only prayer and praise, but the Lord's Supper and attentive listening to the word, we encourage one another, we edify one another. And so we often feel encouraged and edified. As a result, we are renewed in our awareness of God's love and God's truth, and we are encouraged to respond with adoration and action. So he's like, so these authors are saying something happens that really does build up the church. Um, hmm. And then I, I grabbed uh, I grabbed this from an article entitled "What We Are Missing When We Are Missing Church." Hmm. And so this is a little bit longer of, uh, of of a paragraph, but I'll just read it. However, we are created to commune with God, not merely as individuals, but also as the gathered church where we experience God in and through the presence of other believers. On this, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, the prisoner, the sick person, the Christian living in the diaspora recognizes in the nearness of the fellowship Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. Mm. So so he's saying that, that they're going to recognize God's presence in a unique way with the gathering. In other words, as those in whom the presence of God dwells, when we gather physically together, we mediate God's presence to one another in a unique way that cannot be replicated apart from the gathering. 
when the church, the temple of the living God, physically gathers for worship, we find in that assembly a manifestation of God's presence that cannot be experienced in our life alone. To be clear, this is not to say that we don't experience God outside the gathered church, but it is to say that we don't experience God in the unique manifestation of his presence that happens when the body of Christ joins together in worship to him. As such, when we cannot gather together, we cannot partake of God's unique presence that we experience in our gathering, and so we cannot gather We miss not only each other, but we can also miss God. And so, you you know, like, so that's where I'm saying, yes, like there's something. And again, that's where the, 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 in some sense, these three kind of areas of the temple are so important. You've got the outer court, the holy place, and then the holy of holies. I do believe. And now, again, I'm not the, you know, uh, not every scholar or theologian would equate the gathering with the epicenter, but I would definitely say that, you know, quotes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Luther, Tim Keller, uh, a couple other theologians that say there's something unique mysterious and profound that happens when we get like, so I would not be off to say that the gathered church is the epicenter of God's manifested presence. Mm-hmm. And so again, not to say that God is not going to manifest his presence in you at work. Like, you know, he, you, he, he, the spirit of God dwells in you. But when we come together as now these living stones that truly have now embodied the, the building up of God's temple, something profound and mysterious happens. And so let me also be very clear because I know that we have uh, an extended Northland family that uh, many of them watch online. So uh, some of you, 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 you are prevented from being able to get out of your house and come to gather with the church. And so again, once again, let me just be clear. I'm grateful for technology mm-hmm. that we can connect. Uh, that's one of the reasons why deacon ministry has been so important throughout the ages mm-hmm. to minister to shut-ins who could not physically uh, get out of their house to be gathered with the church. So uh, I want you to understand, like God understands understands that uh, and there is provisions there there is this kind of provisions of grace uh, for you now for those of you who can get outside uh, your house I would encourage you to find a corporate gathering uh, now this is one of the reasons why we are starting micro churches uh, maybe uh, you want to start a micro church where there is a connect you know a, a connecting with other believers physically as you listen to the preaching of God's word as you sing, as you listen, uh, but that you, but you're doing it together in a place where you are physically present with other believers. Like, so it, it's not about being here at 522 Dog Track Road. Um, like, it's about being connected physically to the people of God. I, I think I explained it as well as I could in terms of you know, me being digitally present with the Ryder Cup versus being physically present at the Ryder Cup. It is just, it's a night and day experience. Like, I still get the gist of what's happening. I still get the content. And sometimes even in a clear way, with no distraction. Right. But I, I get the presence. I, I, I get the weight. I get the significance. I actually get the glory of the Ryder Cup. Uh, same thing when COVID happened and there were empty stadiums. Like, who wants to play 
to empty stadiums. Nobody does. Mm. Like there's something that feeds our soul when we hear cheering. There's something that feeds our soul when we have celebration. Like you're so, like so. There's something again. There's something that happens physically. Like here's a here's something that's even changed from COVID. Now I'm preaching kind of, uh, but. You can do that. Yeah, but but one of the things that we saw with with uh, work during COVID is that there really was a shift to remote. Like the, the, we saw a trend, be, you know, begin to develop prior to COVID, but then everybody, in some sense, had to go uh, remote for work. Uh, now we are, you know, kind of three years removed from COVID, and people, even who have been now fully remote, they are missing the physical connection with people. And so now you have even workplaces that are going to more of a hybrid model because they know that there's there's elements uh, of uh, the, the, the physical gathering of their people that they just cannot get on Zoom. Yeah. And, and so, again, that, that's where when you go back to the innate element of this temple building, we are we we all have this innate desire to connect with like minded people to worship the very one who has created us. And so so again, I'm I'm really wanting to stress that of going, listen, um if you can be in a corporate worship gathering physically, I would encourage you to do that. If you cannot, yeah. I promise you God understands yeah. and he has made special, I would say, provisions for you in the digital space. But then let me just, again, once again, just drill down on this. You do not have to go and be present with the church to be saved. I, I, it's not salvific. Being with the church does not save you. But let me just repeat one of the quotes that I shared, um, that I jotted down. You don't have to go to be with the church to be saved any more than a husband has to go home to be married. Okay, so so listen, I, I don't have to go. I don't have to go uh, to Winter Springs today uh, and be physically present with my wife to be married. Hey, we, we are married. I don't know what kind of marriage that will be if I never go home, but I don't have to go home in order to be married to my wife. Um, but there's one other thing that I, I'll you know even drill down here there, Matt. It's a shocking example, but well, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, well, well, oh yeah, whoa, whoa, yeah. Uh, but that's why I also say a strong church will have a strong commitment to corporate worship. I truly believe that a strong church, a healthy church, will have believers yeah. with a strong commitment to corporate worship. Yeah. Now, there, uh, the early church fathers would say something to the effect. Now. I might not get the quote exactly right. I think I'm going to be very close. But there is no salvation outside the church. Mm. And they say that you cannot have God as your father unless you have the church as your mother. Now, what were they saying? They were saying there's such a close tie yeah. to the to the church, the gathered church, to the people of God. Like so so again, that's that's why like I'm I you know I, I didn't want to say that in front of everybody. Yeah. You know, be, because you know you have to nuance that and explain it. But you know, you cannot have the church as your father unless you have the church as your mother. And that they did teach that there is not salvation outside the church. Now what what we would take that as is well 
who hold, no so go back to that that passage that we taught on a couple of weeks ago Matthew 16 mm. All right, so if you go the, to the very next verse that I didn't, you know, I didn't go to it because I'm like again, I didn't didn't have time to do it, but but Jesus is going to give the keys to Peter to to bind and loose. Okay, mm-hmm. what is that teaching? What are the keys to the kingdom? The confession. So so those who are part of the church are the ones who have confessed. Mm-hmm. So uh, so here here's the keys. I'm going to give you the keys and and so you're going to have to discern did in some sense are they are 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 they part of the church based upon their confession. Yeah. Now another mm-hmm. thing that the church was supposed to practice is this thing called church discipline. So this binding and loosing. Mm-hmm. So if they professed and they confessed Jesus as savior and lord, yes, they become part of the church, the ecclesia. They become part of the temple of God. But then if for whatever reason this individual believer begins to live a life that is not reflective of 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 the king that they have now confessed then they were supposed to be disciplined mm-hmm. so they were they were supposed to be confronted yeah. you, you know hey you you've been you, you've been doing it like so Paul he does this and he tells the church at Corinth like listen you got a guy you got a guy that has professed Jesus as Savior and Lord, but he's sleeping with his mother-in-law. Like, re- you le- are you really letting that happen? Like, you need to confront him, and if he does not repent and relent from doing this, you need to discipline him and put him outside the church. Yep. Okay, so so that that's this that's this idea. But but how does this connect to the temple? Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's a guy who has professed Jesus Christ as king, as savior. He has confessed, you are you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Here's the keys to the kingdom. Welcome in my brother. But he begins to live a life that is not reflective of the body of Christ, not reflected of Jesus, not reflected of a priest to Jesus, okay? So if he is confronted and he's not going to repent and he's not going to turn from his sin, then he is going to be kicked out. Why? Because there's nothing unclean that can be in the holy place. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to put you back out into the outer court, mm-hmm. like where where in some sense you, you're saying by your very life, I, this, this, I want to live here. I don't want to live in the holy place. You, you know, so that's why, again, such understanding is so important. So this idea of binding and loosing yeah. is, okay, you're in. And this is part of holding each other accountable. Why? Because we are the body of Christ. We are the temple of God. We are the ecclesia of Jesus. Mm. So, Amen. I mean, Amen. yeah, um, yeah. All those connections. You like that, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you're like, oh, my. And this is why I'm like, I love my Bible. I absolutely love my Bible because I'm telling you. And, and, and here's the thing, like. Uh, you know, you're talking about you were getting inspired today and, and you know, earlier when you were talking about this is that, you know, this is where I don't want to take for granted. Two things I don't want to take for granted. One, how God has uh, been extremely gracious to me. Uh, so since I was eight years old, having a love for the word, 
And he's been extremely gracious to me because, yes, I went to college for this. I went to seminary for this, both with a Master's of Divinity and a Ph.D., but that's God's grace in my life. And here's the other thing that I would say is that this is why I believe something unique happens in the corporate gathering. There are times when I look back on a sermon that I wrote and go, that that wasn't me. That, you know, that, that wasn't me. That was God's grace in the church's life to give me that word so that I could preach that word for his people. And so that's why like, I love, like, I absolutely love his word mm. because when you look at how he created the cosmos, it was by his very word. And now it's by his word that he's given shape and form to new creation. And so when you connect all of these dots, it's just like, oh, oh. Yeah. Wow. N- never saw that. You know, so. Yeah. So when when we sat down, we were going through this. You brought half of your bookshelf and uh, <laughs> and we go, oh, we, we, we've got a lot here. We can go for three hours today. We won't. Oh, gosh. We're already at an hour. We are. Wow. But I've got one final question. OK. Um, and, and I think this is going to tie into this bonus question. OK. So. So uh, speaking of God's manifested presence, my question is, what what advice would you have for us when we don't always feel that, right? So there's the reality of, um, you know, we are, we are humans and we are weak. <laughs> um, and yes, God's manifested presence when the, when the church comes together, but we don't always feel it. So is the answer to that? really what you laid out in the bonus question of how you should prepare for worship. You know, you laid out for us, you should discipline your thoughts, you should prepare your body, attune your heart, discern your need, offer your sacrifices, give your attention, and expect God to move. Is that really the answer of of uh, getting past those those feelings of just not not feeling it, not feeling up to it, not especially if we're coming weekly or every other week or in in any sort of consistent way, we're going to be there. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I would, you know, the, the idea of attuning your heart, you know, I, I think it goes back to the condition of your heart. Like, where is your heart? And sure, there's going to be time, like, so th- th- there's going to be times where, you might not feel something, but but God's people they don't base everything on feelings, you, you know. So for for me, like even corporate worship, for for me, it's not about a feeling. I'm not trying to get a you know because here, like in any of these, like it's not about a feeling. Mm-hmm. Is actually is about facts. Mm-hmm. You know the the facts are I need to discipline myself. Mm-hmm. I need to prepare my body because that, that, that's something that I – here's the thing. These are all of the things that I can control with the exception – well, actually, I can I can control expecting God to move. Like these are all yeah. things that I can control. Listen, you can't control your feelings. Like you – and that's also part of the reason why I attune your heart because I think so many times people come in to a corporate worship gathering with an Eeyore-type spirit. Ooh, bother. They're not going to sing any songs that I like, you know, and the preacher is – man, he's just going to go long and he's going to go yell at me. And here's the thing. You, you, you are feeling a certain way, and I promise you, here's what's happened. Those feelings are more of a reflection on what's going on in your heart, and you have created a barricade 
defecate. I forgot to even penetrate you. Ooh. Okay. Now you're preaching. Yeah. Uh, so so think about so so think about the Old Testament. What was the reason why? So the word Ichabod mm-hmm. in the in the Old Testament, it, it wasn't about Sleepy Hollow. You know, Ichabod. You, you know, isn't that isn't that the character in Sleepy Hollow? I- Ichabod. Ichabod Crane. Ichabod Crane. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that's how I know it. it, it you know. I, I mean. I, yeah. But the word Ichabod means the glory of the Lord has departed. Oh. So the reason why the Spirit of God departed the temple was ultimately because of Israel's heart. They had a hard heart. Like one of the things, it's just, it's absolutely mind-blowing. When you read the book of Jeremiah and God is trying to tell them through the mouth of Jeremiah, get your heart right. Like just if you would just listen and obey, I promise you, I will even I will even relent on the disaster. And then and then when he gives them another chance, if you would just repent, I know that you've experienced some disaster, but I won't even let it be as bad as it is. If you would just like if you would just attune your heart, like if you just listen and obey and they didn't. And you're like, what? (laughs) I'm reading the book and I'm like, oh, my Atlanta. So. Going back to your question, that's why I feel like attune your heart is so important. Yeah. Because if you have not attuned your heart to be ready for corporate worship, you have you have you have erected a barrier where where the spirit of God is not going to penetrate because and that's the thing. I would rather you stay at home. Uh oh. If you're not going to be ready for the Lord to move. Really? Let me tell you why. Because there are a lot of dead churches out there that are filled with people who are content to make Jesus all about them, rather them making their life all about Jesus. And a healthy church... A healthy church has people that says, you know what, it's not about me, but it's a it's about he and we. Hmm. And so that's where like like because because if you come and you're going to have this spirit of Ichabod, that the glory of the Lord has departed from me. Because here's the thing what I've always seen in church complaints is that it was all about them and not about him. Like, like I always used to tell people, like when I was, you know, revitalizing churches and, and God's in the process of revitalizing Northland, but they, they would complain about certain things. And, and I said, when's the last time that you complained that you haven't seen anybody saved and baptized? Because if you really want to know, is God really moving? He's going to move through new life. So, what, mm-hmm. so instead of complaining about a song that hasn't been sung— Mm. Well, when are you going to complain about not seeing the Lord move? Mm. Mm. Because because we want again, He moves in and through His people when they come together to make Him the center. So so, and that's the reason why we are so committed here mm. to 
this new season of Northland to making sure that we are a healthy church. And that doesn't mean a perfect church. Mm. That just means that we are a healthy church, understanding what the, what, what the, what the Lord, our King, wants to make sure that we hold people accountable. Uh, and again, I need accountability. So, so again, that, that, you know, and it might have been a little strong, stay at home if your heart ain't right. But, but listen, there's this, there's this idea that when you come to be in the presence of the Lord with his people, those things, that's why I, I shared them, yeah. um, you know. So it's really where is your heart, and uh, and one of the things that I'm seeing right now at Northland, and I think we would all agree with this. There is a spirit here that I actually haven't seen in a in a church in quite some time. I, I mean that. I mean that sincerely. And I, you know, and I haven't been here other than since I've been here. So I'm going off of other places that that I've been. But I'm telling you, there is a spirit here. That that truly is, I, I, I would say, reflective. There's this hunger for the Lord. Uh, there's this desire for the Lord to show up. Uh, the, the, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm hearing. Mm. I'm talking about students dragging their grandmas. You know, students dragging their dads. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing. I'm seeing men uh, who are in their 40s, 50s come to know Jesus. We're seeing 75 year old baptized. Like I had a, I had a 75 year old stop me in Winter Springs. I was downtown and said, Pastor Josh, Pat, like, and I mean, I was like, okay, uh, hey, and uh, he told me that came to know the Lord about a year. Ago was baptized, been growing, like, and but but just the excitement, huh. just around what the Lord's doing, like that's the thing. There's the spirit of what the Lord's doing, mm. and I'm not like, like let's not lose that, let like let, let's not lose that. So yeah, what I'm hearing from you is that uh, God's manifested presence might be there, but we might miss it based on the way we're preparing, yeah. based on our heart, our posture, all of that. Yeah. Well, that's and then another re- like so let me just let me just give you a why we do what we do. Okay. So here it is and I know we're already over but here here's a why we we'll do what we do. This. We'll end with this and here it is. So one of one of the discussions that I've always had because it's always a discussion that churches have is how long should the worship gathering be. And so one of the things that I have shared, and it's from my perspective, is that I don't want to box God in in a time frame. But for some reason, people over the years, and I think it was because of the church growth movement and the seeker church, is that you know there was a lot of discussion that the the service, and that's why I don't even call it a service. Because uh, it's a worship gathering. It is where the assembly of God's people are gathered for worship. So that's another, you know, why I say what I say. So I don't even say worship service as if we're performing for you. Like it is a worship gathering where we all participate. And so, so this idea of 60 minutes, I'm like, are we just really going to say, God, you only have 60 minutes? You, you know, and then this whole idea of of the length of sermon, you, you know, I like I don't go into a weekend going this sermon's going to be long. Um, but here's what here's what we want to do here. We want to build out a order of service that yes is in order because I think there's a biblical precedence for order. We see that in Corinthians that whenever you come together, there needs to be some order to it, but that will leave room for God to work. 
And so, but but if you get into, and this is part of this idea of the spirit and the condition of your heart. And this is why I'm like, I'm telling you, this is where what what I'm what I'm sensing here is like. We're not even focused on that, which is great. That is a sign that the Lord is present mm. because I've had so many other places and I've heard as you got people like complaining, oh, you know, I can't believe it's, you know, 80 minutes. I'm, I'm, I'm so hungry. Listen, are you more hungry for food, physical food, or are you more hungry for spiritual food? Because the last I read is that Jesus did say that man doesn't live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You see, one of the ways that we can tell whether or not we are spiritual spiritually hunger for God is that we ain't really worried about time. We're not really worried about what's happening around us. We're not really worried about, well, did the pastor go long today or did we sing too many songs today? No, you just, when it's kind of what I was saying about the manifested presence of God, you just want God. And so that's what I'm getting. And that's what I'm getting really excited about, about what we're sensing here at Northland is that people are excited about the presence of God showing up. They truly are attuned. They're attuning their heart. And I mean, mm-hmm. so so that's where I'm like, I, what I'm sensing, so I'm saying this from a pa- pastor's heart, what I'm sensing at North and please let's not lose it. Because I'm telling you, holy smokies. Like, and that's where, you know, when when you look at the manifested presence of God at the corporate, like I could go from revival to revival. Revival, like, you know, why, why, why was there this awakening with Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield? Where, where they were assembled when revival broke out. The Haystack revival assembled to pray. Revival broke out. Uh, you look at the Jesus movement. They were the, the, you know, there were these assemblies. There were these gatherings uh, where Jesus' spirit broke out. Like that's where I'm like. Revival is breaking out here, and I'm excited to see what's going to happen. So with that, yeah. So with with that, Northland family and friends, well, we love you. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Extra Takes. We love you. Blessings. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.